Hello and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. My name is Luke Borgett. I'm a solicitor here at Corny and Lind Lawyers, and I'm joined here today by my friend and colleague, Ashley Fanning. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Luke. Really excited to be on the podcast today. Great. So today we're talking about um, a, a passion area of yours, I know, in the law, and that's youth justice. Um, and really around what happens when a child is charged with a crime and the stress that goes on, not only for that child, but for their family as well. Um, but before we get into that, I just thought it would be a good opportunity to introduce you to our listeners. Um, I know that crime is one of your, your passion areas and something that you um, yeah. really, really enjoy, which might... Um, it's funny because it's an area that a lot of people don't enjoy at all. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so what is it about crime, Ash, that um, really draws you to it? Or what is it about working in crime that, that you love? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it should start kind of with my my journey at uni. Mm-hmm. I, um, I remember that when I started uni, I had this real uh, conviction that, you know what, I just, I was going to be a criminal defense lawyer and that's what I was going to do. There was, there was a time when I, I did consider going into prosecution and I did some work experience with the police prosecution corps in Cairns. Um, but yeah, I think it just kept coming back to uh, defenses where I wanted to be. Um, I've always had an interest in kind of forensics and I guess the criminal justice system and all of that throughout high school. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. Um, so when I was at uni, um, I was at Bond University on the Gold Coast and one of my lecturers, uh, Dr. Joe Crowley, um, Joe, if you're hearing this, thank you so much for what you've done for my career. It's been awesome. Um, my lecturer had managed to put me onto a previous student who owns his own firm on the Gold Coast uh, for a law clerk opportunity. And they were a boutique firm on the Gold Coast that, um, only does criminal defense matters and domestic violence matters within the context of crime. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just kind of where my journey started. Um, prior to working at Corny and Lind, I've only worked in criminal defense, both as a law clerk and a solicitor. And so that's, that's my background um, in practice thus far. I think why I personally enjoy criminal defense is because I personally really believe that every person has a story to tell. And that belief actually came from a conversation that I had with another colleague in the law, uh, Linda Cho of Robertson O'Gorman. Um, she was doing a judge's associateship at the time. And this is when we were both uh, living up in Cairns. And she just said to me that, you know, um, she's always believed that people had a story and that was something that was really impactful for me and really stuck with me throughout the remainder of my studies. And I've come to know that to be true more and more as the days go on in practice. I think the best part of it is that you get to meet people um, from all different shapes, forms, walks of life, um, you know, different backgrounds. And it just really teaches you about the the real complexity of of Mm. human nature. Um, It also teaches you about the depth and the value of humanity. And so I think that whilst, um, you know, 
the thought of criminal defence can be quite, I guess, um, a little bit, you know, law and ordery where you kind of think that a criminal defence lawyer is just here to be um, making sure that people get off left, right and centre. That just doesn't accurately reflect our job. But what it does... Um, well, sorry, I should say it this way. What we do as criminal defence lawyers is we have the opportunity to really advocate for people mm. who are going up against a system where the system is designed, um, you know, for for the government, really, because, I mean, they're going up against prosecution who's funded by um, the government, as, you know, government mm. structures do. And so our job is to come in, hear their story, advocate on their behalf and make the playing field fair. Um, it also allows you the opportunity to make deep connection with people Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of get to know their story and realise that um, people make different choices um, for various reasons and it also teaches you an element of of learning not to judge people Um, because, like I said, people make mistakes, people do things and they come from backgrounds and, and I guess, places where it makes sense. Mm. and I guess that's that's the beauty in my job is that I get to have that privilege of sitting down with people and understanding their why mm. behind their what um, and then advocating for them as best as I can. I know that's a really long-winded answer, but it is no, something I'm quite passionate about. Yeah. So Great. That's why you're on the podcast. Yes, yeah, that's so, it. Um, thank you for that and for sharing that. Um, so for today's podcast, we're talking specifically about an aspect of criminal law in Queensland, and that's youth justice. Yes. Now, when we say youth justice, of course, we're talking about when a child, so someone between the ages of 10 and 17, um, is charged with an offence by the police. Um, And, of course, the way that the justice system interacts with that child is different to how um, it may with an adult. Could you maybe just speak to... Um, some of those differences and, and perhaps why it's different yeah. for a child and um, what the youth justice system, I suppose, is trying to achieve in, in, in being different. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we could spend a three-hour podcast on talking about the, the niche ins and outs of the differences between the adults and the juvenile jurisdiction. But what I think is probably the most standouts that we can address today is that, first of all, in the juvenile system, um, the courts want to deal with these matters as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in the adult jurisdiction, there can be quite significant delay. And whilst the court always seeks to address those delays, there seems to be a particular urgency when it's dealt with young people. Um, and I heard it really well said by um, a magistrate on the Gold Coast in passing conversation. It was that to young people time seems to tick on really slowly Um, so what seems to be really quick to an adult say two weeks seems to be a lifetime to a child so it seeks to minimize stress on the child it seeks to minimize stress on the various stakeholders and it seeks to just make sure that um, yeah the matters are dealt with as quickly as possible something else that's different in the juvenile jurisdiction is that there are a number of charges um, that a person can be charged with um as an adult that must or can go up to the district court or the Supreme Court in certain circumstances. Um, And in the juvenile jurisdiction, there is definitely a lot more scope for a lot more charges to be dealt with in front of a magistrate's court in the Mm -hmm. children's court. Um, 
Without having to go upstairs to a higher court. Correct, up to the Children's Court of Queensland, which is effectively the district in the Supreme Court in the juvenile jurisdiction. So there is that difference as well. Um, and then there is also things like, for example, um, a charge of failing to appear in a court. Um, that is not a charge that a child can be charged with. Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely something that, you know, if a child fails to appear, a warrant can still issue, um, but it's not a formal charge that can be um, profit on a child. Mm. One of the other differences that I see in in the youth justice space is I see a real focus in the courts, and it is definitely present when an adult gets charged, but in the youth justice system, there's a real focus and a real emphasis placed on rehabilitation, uh, but also in getting kids out of the court system and out of the court cycle and dealing with them in a way that in the long term... um, sees them out of the cycle of continued offending and coming in and out of the court system. Yes. Um, Would you agree with that? And how do you see that playing out um, in in the youth justice system? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely, I agree with that. And I think how I've personally seen it work, uh, outwork itself in the actual courtrooms has been um, noticing the types of penalties that magistrates impose or judges and justices impose on young people. Mm -hmm. Um, It always has a deep element of rehabilitation. Um, You know, things like, um, you know, probation. Um, You can also have uh, crows, um, you know, and, and all of that is also linked to supervision and rehabilitative courses through youth justice itself. I also think youth justice do a great job of trying to place young people as best as they can back in schools, if that's an issue Mm. that's been highlighted. Uh, Working with families, working with guardians, um, getting them into programs that help, also seeking to address their mental health. Um, And you always find that at the crux of it, there is the justice system for children is very much set up for them to be able to go on to become contributing members of society and put this part of their life behind them. Mm-hmm. And so you'll always find that the, the preference, unless obviously, you know, the offending is such that it would require something more than, um, there is always a really deep underlying um, principle of rehabilitation through not just the act itself, um, but also through the penalties and such that are imposed and, and normally preferred by the mm-hmm. bench as well. Mm-hmm. And I think often... Um when a child is charged, one of their main stresses, or certainly a stress of their family, is, well, what happens if a conviction is recorded? Yes. And how will this impact my job, job prospects for the rest of my life? Yes. You know, I might have a 15-year-old who wants to work in childcare, and they're thinking, well, if a conviction gets recorded, um, will this impact my capacity to get a blue card? Mm, <laughs> um, yes, that's so, always a big one. Uh, does the court take that into account with 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 young people when sentencing them? Yeah, absolutely. And from my experience, and, and I accept that it is, you know, still, my career is still very much um, in the early stages. Um, from what I have seen, um, recording a conviction is, it, it is always seen to be an absolute last resort unless it's something that A, the legislation calls for, or it's something that, you know, in light of circumstances, the child's criminal history, things like that, um, it must be dealt with. Um, but I've always seen it as, you know, the bench always, always tries to toe that line as long as absolutely possible mm-hmm. with not recording a conviction up until it's absolutely necessary. I guess as well, the benefit is that once they turn 18, um, there are only certain circumstances when a juvenile record can actually, criminal record can be provided. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, 
it, it's really going to depend on what the child is charged with prior to them turning 18. But yes, I've always seen that the bench is always towing that line as long mm-hmm. as possible to not record a conviction in any way that they can. Mm-hmm. And I should say without leading into error as well. Yeah. I should make that observation. Um, and one other aspect that we see a lot in uh, the children's court, um, and again, we see it a little bit in the adult system, but particularly in children's court, mm-hmm. is restorative justice. Yes. Um, and so maybe just speak a little bit to, well, what is restorative justice and, and what is its aim? Yeah, so restorative justice, there is, in the juvenile jurisdiction, there is um, both pre-sentence restorative justice and then mm-hmm. post-sentence restorative justice. But effectively, they, are, they both um, work out in a very similar fashion in that it, it's a conference. And when I say a conference, it's just a meeting with the child, um, the child's parent or guardian, Sometimes police, it involves youth justice, it'll involve the um, victim in the matter. Mm. And basically they come around a table and they have an open frank discussion about what's gone on, how the child's offending has impacted them. And then they come out to an agreement on basically how this child um, can make amends. And I say that in, they can come to an agreement that, you know, we've seen, for example, some victims have wanted them to volunteer their time with an organization to Mm. give back to the community or wants them to go and address some mental health issues or wants them to go do a drug and alcohol course or things like that or um you know get into gainful employment and they come up with this agreement um and that goes towards um their outcome in court Mm. and it is something that's either taken into consideration before sentence Mm. um, or it is something that they are then sentenced to do afterwards if it's a post-sentence restorative justice Mm. order but effectively it's just that it's it's coming together to discuss the impact of their offending and I think the reason why that's quite useful in the juvenile justice system is because oftentimes, depending on the age of a young person, they might not actually understand what their their offending does to impact other people. Mm. Um, because I don't know about you, but when I was a young person, I certainly thought the whole world <laughs> revolved around me. And, and I'm not saying that of all young people, but it's just that for most young people, having that conversation with somebody to realize, oh, wow, my offending really does affect more than just me Mm. it allows them to open their eyes and and kind of i guess gain a maturity um that they can then hopefully move forward um through their rehabilitation to see them move past it Mm. and i think what attracts me to restorative justice is that it's evidence-based yes um and that the evidence shows that through restorative justice there's much lower levels of recidivism yes um, much lower levels of committing further offenses and uh, i think like you say you know someone who's committed an offense and has to sit down with the victim and hear their side of the story it has such a huge impact on them yeah absolutely um and so i think that's and again it comes back to that whole point of restorative just well of the youth justice system um which is about it's about um getting people back into the community and and out of the criminal justice cycle. Absolutely. Have you personally seen, because I know I haven't personally seen um, pre-sentence restorative justice in the juvenile space, have you seen that before? No, I've seen it more so when a a child has, um, they're pleading guilty to their offence and the the court has, um, rather than recording a conviction or, or, Mm. or finding them or imposing another punishment, the court has deferred them to to youth justice to go through that restorative justice process yeah um and that's been quite powerful i've seen you know um 
kids leave the courtroom and give their mum a big hug. As yeah. If, um, that, that, you know, the stress had... Um, weight's lifted off yeah, their shoulders. Yeah, huge yeah. weight has been lifted off their shoulders. And that leads me to the next point that I wanted to discuss with you, and that's the link between uh, youth justice and, and children who are charged with offences mm. and mental health. Yeah. And I, I think in... 90%, maybe 100% of the youth justice matters that I've had um, where a child has been charged with an offence, there's also underlying um, mental health, um, psychological, psychiatric um, issues or injuries um, yes. going on as well. So um, perhaps could you just speak to that, any reflections you have on that and um, how you personally help to... Uh, assist clients in dealing with not only their underlying mental health but their underlying mental health in the context of what's probably the most stressful time that they've yeah. had in their life yeah that's a great question yeah. um i'm much the same luke that probably i'd say like you said 99 if not 100 percent of the matters that i've dealt with there has always been some form of an underlying psychological or psychiatric injury or manifestation of something mm. um and i think that you know, and it's something that again, um, I've heard a phenomenal children's court magistrate say time and time again that um, there is such a significant correlation between mental health and offending, particularly for children. And I think that's something that um, we're starting to see more emphasis placed upon, um, especially in some of the judgments that I've seen um, released on the Supreme Court Library lately, um, particularly from some decisions that were coming out from. Um, I guess West Queensland but what I've personally done and seen a lot of my mentors and had the privilege of seeing my mentors do is just taking an extra five minutes in your busy Mm. day with this client and just having a chat to them about what's going on where did that come from I think we always need to remember that you know even where our compassion kicks in for these young people and for our clients we need to remember that as lawyers we aren't their counsellor Uh, first of all, we're not qualified in that area. Unless you are a solicitor that is qualified in that area, then, you know, you do you. But I think the issue is is that lines can be blurred if you're not very cautious mm. of the fact that you are not their counsellor. Mm. You are their lawyer, but that doesn't preclude you from taking an extra five minutes to chat them through what's going on, figure out what those injuries might be. And if you feel like, you know, look, I'm, I'm wading into some very like something that's Mm. a lot more complex than what I initially thought, Um, you know, have them referred to a psychologist, Mm. Um, you know, get a psychological, you know, a psychologist or a psychiatrist's report to see the underlying mental health issues, Mm. get them referred on to services, you know, chat with youth justice. I think that's something that is such an underutilized resource Mm. um, that I've seen is that not everybody takes the time to have a proper conversation with youth justice about a particular child's circumstance. Mm. You know, they've always got that information and they're always so willing to help and they're so for the children that I think taking that extra time to just get a really thorough background of the child, um, it, it it makes conference, a conferencing with them so much easier because mm. it gives you a level of understanding patience, um, but it also gives you a level of, of awareness on how to communicate with them, to best relate to them, to best build rapport with them and then be able to progress their matter mm. moving forward to the mm. best of your ability. 
And so that that's what I've seen. Um, I've also been really fortunate. Um, you know, my mentors have always been huge advocates for children and for young people, um, particularly where there are really complex, or not even just complex, you know, even non-complex, mm. if that's even a word, um, mental health issues, just where young people do have these mental health issues that are at the crux of their offending. Um, you know, just going to bat for them. Mm. And I think that goes that goes a long way, especially if they're children, say, that are in care and don't necessarily have the support networks mm. that the average child would. Um, and so, yeah, I always think it's really important because you will, you will find um, that in majority, if not all matters in the juvenile jurisdiction, will have some form of an underlying mental health condition that needs to be addressed, mm. not just for the sake of getting a good outcome in the courtroom, but also to go on to see them rehabilitate and be yeah. the best best version of themselves mm. that they can be and progress towards being a healthy, happy, contributing adult. Yeah, and I think that's always... Uh the hope and and the prayer really that when they I always liken when a family comes to us and they've just been charged and they're going to go to court mm. and it's the most stressful period in that kid's life ever yeah. probably um, that and their it, parents too yeah, probably it can feel really dark yeah. and sometimes I just try to encourage the families that um, I've that I've seen other families in their position mm. and I've seen them go through the process and seen that child um engage in the restorative justice and engage in wanting to better their lives and actually I've seen them come out the other side of the process um, better for it oh absolutely and that's at the heart of the whole system and um, so I try to encourage families to see that that light at the end of the tunnel and actually see this as an opportunity Um, and I think the police see this as an opportunity as well not to punish a kid for doing something wrong but to um, help them understand that there's consequences for their actions and hopefully to have them turn around and, and, and steer clear of that behaviour going forward. Correct. And I think that's something that I've really learned from you in my time being here, um, you know, and also, you know, prior to me working at Corny and Linden, just mm. being um, general friends outside of work, but just that thought of, you know, also engaging with the family and reminding them, like you said, um, mm. there is a silver lining at the end of this. And that's mm. something that I've really addressed in my language with families, um, and I think especially when you do have an involved family mm. in the child's life, or maybe not necessarily involved, but just family that are around, engaging mm. them as well and making them feel a part of the process goes a long way to seeing a successful outcome mm. for them. Mm. Um, and I think it's also important that the family and the child know that you are there for them mm. um, regardless of their behaviour. Regard- mm. like and that's not to say we condone, you know, criminal mm. offending, mm. Um, but it's just, you know, that they know that there is somebody in their corner that they can come to in that dark time. And I think that's, that's a really honourable place for us to be in and I guess mm. that's where my passion comes from and where my passion lies. Um, and that's definitely something that I've seen you navigate really, really well in the youth justice space. Thank you, Ash. I appreciate that. Very welcome. I think that's a lovely note to end on, a nice positive one. Um, unless you had any, did you have any final thoughts to say about youth justice or, or working in crime? Oh, look, I just think, you know, particularly youth justice, um, I do love young people and I know you do as well. We've mm. both got backgrounds in youth ministry um, that I think, you know, this is one of the areas, the subsets of, of criminal law that I particularly enjoy. But 
Um, I guess on that note, obviously, you know, here at Corny and Lind, we assist young people, adults in all various areas of criminal law. Um, but I just want to thank you for your time today and for this podcast. I think it's been really great to chat through it all. No, thank you for coming on. So everyone, thank you for another episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. And we look forward to the next episode where you'll hear from us again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 0732520011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.